Welcome to the Beach Grove United Methodist Church Podcast, where you can hear our Sunday morning sermons in audio form and take them wherever you go. A reminder that if you want to watch the entire service, our services are available on our YouTube channel linked in the podcast notes. We would love it if you would subscribe to the podcast so that new sermons come into your feed as soon as they are available, and you can do this using your favorite podcasting app. We would love it if you would help to support the missions and ministries here at Beach Grove through your tithes and your offerings. A donation link is also linked in the notes below. And lastly, find us on Facebook and Instagram to follow along with all the fun things happening at Beach Grove, whether you live in Suffolk, Virginia or not. We hope you enjoyed this week's message, and please don't forget to share it with others. scripture lesson for this message comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus had been baptized just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw God's Spirit descending like a dove, alighting on him. And a voice from seven heavens said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. This is the Word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each one of our hearts be holy and pleasing to you, that as we hear your words for us this day, we would grow closer in your kingdom, closer to you, closer to our Savior, and closer to one another in community. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so how many of you have ever had a parent say... Or how many of you were a parent that has said, if your friends jumped off a cliff, would you join them? (laughs) Some version of that, right? And and I'm not going to lie, I heard this a lot as a child. And I think y'all probably have learned enough about me to now to know that, you know, a lot of times my smart Alex sarcastic response was, well, if it looked fun enough. And I cannot lie that there have been some not necessarily cliffs, but definitely some tall heights that I have jumped off of into bodies of water, friends. I was never in any danger at all, don't worry, but your pastor has done some stupid things in his life. But see, sometimes when we look at community, when we look at these groups of friends that are doing these crazy things, we think to ourselves, what drives at the heart of them? What are we willing to do for our community? You know, in 2019, I was trying to get back into running consistently. I had an on and off relationship with running throughout the beginning, my beginning tenure of ministry uh, and post my knee surgeries. And so I was trying to get back into running again. Before 2019, I was often very sporadic. I would sign up for these races and then about two weeks before I'd start training and then Sarah would, would look at me funny when I started to complain about how badly I was doing in these races. So in 2019, I decided, all right, right, I'm going to get serious about running again. I'm going to try and do it a little bit more consistently. 
And one of the greatest things that happened in that year was I began to form myself around a running community. One day going into a running store and getting an invitation from the manager at that running store to join a running group. It's that invitation that will draw us into community and it is our reception and feeling of welcome within it that often leads us to say yes. To recognize the nature within community and sometimes to want to jump off a cliff with and for our friends. These invitations are what welcome us in, and they are an offering of what can be to come. And we do recognize the way and nature that these communities get built up around us. Now, I'm sure many of you have also heard this phrase, come on in, the water's fine. An invitation we often hear when we're at the beach, the pool, the river, the, the creek, wherever we might be. I remember a couple of years ago, we went to the Outer Banks for Christmas, and our kids, for some reason, they picked up my bit of crazy, and they started jumping and playing in the ocean. And I just remember Micah saying, Dad, the water's fine. I'm like, no, it's not. It's freezing cold. An invitation, nonetheless, to join and be part of something. Now, in the tradition of our church, baptism is often treated as this rite of initiation, this right of coming into relationship, of acknowledging something that is already present in our lives and vowing and covenanting with God as we move forward in relationship with God and with community. Oftentimes we, we express it in this way, right? Sometimes we're coming and confessing. But what if baptism is merely the presence of acknowledging something that is already there? What if baptism, instead of being an act that we do, is an act of God that we participate in. It's something that God has done and continues to do for us each and every day of our lives. And I think this is the differentiation that we begin to learn and see in the baptism of Jesus. You see, it's not that John was doing anything wrong. John was calling folks to a ritual cleansing that had been part of Jewish culture for millennia. Since the very early days of Israel, John was calling folks towards an understanding of repentance and into a nature of righteousness with God. However, when we see on the face of Jesus the desire to be baptized, we see a man that does not need to be submerged in the waters of the Jordan. The baptism of Jesus, it's this great story because it's one of the few stories that's present in all the Gospels, which, which needs to tell us something, right? right? If there's something that is in all four Gospels, if all four writers thought this important enough to write, it teaches us something and it perks our ears up because it lays the foundation for Jesus' ministry, right? Jesus does not preach, teach, or heal until he is baptized. Right? We, we have infancy narratives of Jesus. We hear of D Jesus doing things, taking opportunities to learn and be in community with others. But the ministry of Jesus does not begin in earnest until he is baptized. Now, here's where the, stories gets the story gets really interesting. Because we ask ourselves, why does Jesus need to be baptized? And John asks this same question. In fact, going so far as to say, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? 
Remember the kind of baptism that John is calling his followers towards. John is calling his followers towards a baptism of repentance, a baptism of ritual cleansing, a baptism of recognizing the direction that needs to be made as these people continue in their relationship with God. And John looks at Jesus And John, knowing the baptism that he is offering, perceives that the baptism is of the unworthy, and yet the unworthiness that John perceives is only matched by what we see and what we know as Jesus' inherent righteousness. John knows exactly who Jesus is. They've, They've been cousins for life. And yet the man standing before him has nothing that needs to be forgiven. And yet here Jesus stands to be dunked by John in the waters of the Jordan. Not just for repentance, but as we see in in verse 15, to fulfill this nature of righteousness in God. Right, This is where our Christian understanding of baptism comes from. This is where our Christian sacrament, sacred act, holiness of this comes from. Friends, baptism is not just an act of repentance, it is an act of righteousness. And it brings up this concept of repentance and its relationship to righteousness. You see, in our understanding of Christianity, we often think of repentance as turning away from something. We often say, turn away from sin. And yet, if we take that understanding, when we approach the waters of baptism, whether we are being baptized for the first time or we are coming to the waters to merely remember the vows and covenant that we made in our own baptism, then what does that say about our relationship with God? If we are so focused on turning away from something, then how are we ever going to truly understand what we are called to turn towards? What if repentance, much in the confessions we make in a weekly basis, is more reframed in the language of turning towards? Yes, we acknowledge we have fallen short. Yes, we acknowledge the ways in which we have failed ourselves and failed humanity. But we do so in a way that turns us towards the image of God that has filled us with life. If rather than thinking about baptism, if thinking about confession as turning away from sin, but instead reorienting our lives towards the great and wonderful Savior, towards God, then how does that change our mindset? How does that change our nature as we go about living our lives? Do we go through the world focused more on sin or do we go through the world focused more on who God is and the love of God that can be truly present in the world? If our attention turns towards that of heaven, We do not turn a blind eye to the evils of the world, but we see the world through the vision of God's eyes, through the reconciliation, through the healing that can take place. Instead of being filled with anger or hatred or judgmentalism that causes us to only see the sins of the world, we can see the way in which we can heal the hurt and pain in the world. Instead of trying to call people to turn away from sin, what if we called and said to them, the water's fine. Turn towards God. You know, in this time after Epiphany, as, our, as I mentioned earlier, our calendar draws ever closer towards Lent. 
A time where we get filled with, with anxiousness and anxiety, not just because of the Easter egg factory in the four weeks we are going to arduously labor over those eggs, but even more so because we know that Lent is a time to truly reflect on our humanity. And as we draw closer to that nature of Lent, this nature of the kingdom, that's right, I said kingdom, kingdom as we often refer to it, begins to play a large role. However, before you come after me with theological malpractice, do not fear. I want to say that I've used the word kingdom intentionally and in full context of its original context. Because this community that we are in is a community of balance, a community of grace, a community of respect and understanding of one another, a community in which, yes, we understand Jesus Christ as Lord, but not to where we look at to him as a king who lords over us, but rather as a parent, a parent who loves and nurtures us, as a holy mother and father who comes into our lives and cares for us. We see ourselves within the family and body of Christ with God as the head. And we see ourselves existing and knowing and understanding the love and grace of God. That's why I use kingdom, because we are kin with one another. We are kin with the great parent of God, coming, loving, and giving to each and every one of us. And when we look and see and understand that, we look at this understanding of righteousness that Jesus has come to fulfill, and we look at it as righteousness, not rightness. We look at righteousness as a relationship. One of the commentaries that I looked at this week says, righteousness refers to being faithful to relationships. You cannot be righteous all by yourself. You are righteous with God. You are righteous with one another. Righteousness implies relationship. And so the necessary requirement for baptism in the church is the community. Right? This is why I don't baptize people in private. This is why when we do baptisms, we do them here in front of the whole community. This is why even when the people who are being baptized, the people who are being received into community, they make their vows, but we also make a vow together as community because this is inherently a communal act. Baptism, it is almost always done as a part of worship. I can only think of a couple of times where I've seen baptism done not as a part of worship, and that's primarily for pastors who served on two-point charges and have to try and facilitate how to make their child feel welcomed at both churches. Baptism is an entrance into the fellowship of believers. It is a joining up with the body. Amen. And here's the line that I love most. Once you have been baptized, you are never alone. There is always a family around you. You have joined something larger than yourself. Sometimes it is startling, but it's always worthwhile. You see, baptism, for us, just as it was for Christ, was, yes, about an acknowledgement of who we are. We are humans. And we feel this overwhelming sense of grace and of peace and of love. 
And we not only acknowledge its presence in our lives, but we want to make a decision to actively continue to move closer toward it in this nature of perfection. Whether we are doing it for the first time or whether we are being reminded of it when we are doing remembrance of baptism services, we recognize the relationship that we have, the relationship with God and the relationship with one another. Baptism, may, you may think of baptism as a one-time sacrament. And for the most part in the Methodist church, we try to treat it as such, right? We don't re-baptize people. We're very clear on that theology because baptism is, again, it's not an act that we do. It's not an act that, that we do anything. We merely receive what God is offering in the act of baptism. God is the actor. And so to re-baptize, we would have to admit that God did something wrong. Does God do anything wrong? Did God do anything wrong in claiming or choosing or loving any of us? Rather, baptism then becomes a reminder and an experience of the grace and the covenant that we made that first time we touched that holy water. It's about the action of God in our lives, much like our sacrament of communion, both a recognition and an experience. In the moment, our spirits are reminded and made aware of who God is and what God does for us. And the reminder of baptism that we practice in the church is calls us to remember the covenant of relationship that we made in our original baptism. And this is why as a pastor, I love the Wesley Covenant prayer at the end of the service. There may be no water involved in it, though maybe I'll start like flinging water out in the congregation while we say it. No, Jason's, Jason's not on board with that one. But because it in itself is a reminder of the covenant that we make. It's a reminder that we are loved by God. It's a reminder that we have covenanted together with God to be a part of God's kingdom. And while there's no water, we remember that at one point in time there was water. There was the waters of the Spirit who came down upon each and every one of us, blessed us, and called us forward. The waters of the Spirit that washed us anew and gave us not the eyes of humanity, but gave us the eyes of the Spirit to go forth into the world, to love and to serve and to be a part of the kingdom that God has created. Remember your baptism and be thankful. Amen.